Well, if you would now, let's uh, stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, if you would, grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we're in our series, Everyday Discipleship, that uh, Pastor or Mark Scott uh, kicked off for us this past week under praying. Uh, sorry I was out last week. I got sick, but I am now recovered and I have a strange story to tell about being sick. I don't recommend it right now. It's not fun. Oh, yeah, and the kids, guys, you need to head out this side door with Miss Joy. Thank you for the reminder. So we'll see you guys back at the end of the service. Uh, well, it's good to be back. It's been uh, three weeks since I was last in the pulpit. Seems like a long time. I've missed you guys. It's good to be back. Uh, one of my New Year's goals is to take a, a day every month as a prayer retreat. And so I did that this past fall, and hundreds of you sent in prayer requests to me, and it was humbling and uh, very edifying for me to know how to pray for you more specifically. Uh, I'm going to be going off on another day-long prayer retreat on this Wednesday. So if you have prayer requests or updates on the things that you sent me about, I would love an update. Uh, I don't expect it all to get better, but I expect some progress. Uh, but if you would, email me at my uh, email. It's jernigan at jvillepres.org. You can just shoot me an email and uh, let me know how I can be praying for you specifically. Uh, even if it doesn't seem all that interesting, you know, hearing from you is one of my favorite things that I get to do as your pastor is get to know you. And so even if it's just the same as before, you can email me that. Say the same as before. Uh, but if you would email me, let me know how I can be praying for you. I, I would be honored by it. Uh, so with that in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. So we're looking this morning at learning as one of the steps of an everyday discipleship. So with that in mind, we're in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It's page 970 in that blue hardback Bible in the room. Hear the words of Jesus to us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated and let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus for the glory of the Father that we would learn from our Savior Jesus Christ what it means to be his disciples. The Holy Spirit, would you give us learning and insight into your word? And Father, would we live it out this week? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as we dive into discipleship, I love this image of an everyday disciple. Uh, you've probably heard me say that phrase uh, before in the past. I love it because it has sort of like that double meaning, right? An everyday disciple is somebody who does it daily. We want to follow Jesus daily with our lives. But I also love that, you know, we can also talk about I'm just an everyday sort of run-of-the-mill guy. And I love that idea that we are just everyday disciples. We're not thinking of things too lofty for ourselves, but we have a, a air of humility humility about us. We're everyday disciples. So that's really where the title of this sermon series came from is because when I look at those words, everyday disciple, to me, it's incredibly aspirational. This is what I seek to be. And when we look at that word disciple, does anybody know what that word literally means? What does it mean to be a disciple? Anybody have an idea? It means to be a student or a pupil, or it means to learn. And so right there in Matthew 11, uh, verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And that word learn right there is the same word for disciple. So you could say that a disciple is a learner. 
And so learning what it means to follow Jesus is all at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. It means that you and I are learners. So uh, how complicated or simple we make that, you know, you know, maybe I could simplify it in this sense. Um, I, I, I know some of you pretty well. It is, for the record, this is my third year anniversary this Sunday. I don't know if anybody's tracking that. Well, I wasn't looking. You don't have to, thank you, but don't do that. Don't applaud me. That was not the point. My point is I've been here for three years, and so hopefully some of the things that I have to say sort of sound like they're on repetitiveness, right? They're, they're repeated more often. And I think when I get to uh, discipleship, I think these are, uh, this is a key word that a lot of Christians don't understand. And what does it really mean to be a disciple? And I'm on my own learning curve about how to be a better disciple myself. But after three years, um, I think there are some things that you and I, we can share and sort of uh, gaze at together. And it's this idea that discipleship is something we do every day. And it's something we're growing into, just like a lifelong learner. And after three years, I know some of the things that you people can do, which is very sweet. So some of you have taught me how to go fishing around here. And you know, fishing is near and dear to my heart because God did not call golfers. He called fishermen. But when I moved here, I didn't know how to spay cast. And I didn't know how to fish for steelhead. And so how did I learn how to catch a steelhead? Or maybe some of you I know are really good at working on cars. You know, raise your hand if you're good at working on cars. I, mean, I know some of you have that skill set. Uh, some of the ladies here have a you know, sewing and a quilting club. We have those little prayer shawls that we make. So some people know how to do needlepoint. Some people know how to sew. Some people know how to grow a vineyard. And they know about terroir and all kind of about wines and stuff. And I don't even know how to pronounce wines. I don't even know how to say the French words. So people have learned about the, the viticulture around here. Uh, many of you are talented in music, and we've seen you play guitar and sing and play piano. And I have beautiful memories of our talent show, watching people in our congregation show their musical talent. So if you look back on your life, I'm willing to guess that described at least a good chunk of you. But you also have other skills and things that I know that you know how to do that I don't know how to do. So I don't know if you want to think about it maybe as like, what is the passion of your life or maybe what is the hobby that you have? Um, let's, say that it's, uh, let's, let's say that it's guitar. How did you learn to play guitar? Or how did you learn needlepoint? How did you learn to do that? How did you learn to find that passion? Well, I'm willing to bet that nine times out of ten, you didn't learn just by information alone. At some point, you don't just learn from a book about the terroir of a soil that Zinfandel can grow in. At some point, you got to stick your hand in the dirt and do some analysis. Or let's say it was guitar. At some point, you've got to stop watching the YouTube videos and studying the parts of a guitar, and you've got to start learning guitar. So my big idea this morning, I guess what I'm driving at, is that learning Following Jesus, that is a way of life. It's not merely information. It is immersion and imitation. All right, that's my big suggestion to you this morning, right? Learning is not just information. It's not just reading a book. It is immersion and it is imitation. The way that we learn to live the Christian life is not just by information. You know, most of us, myself included, we are educated beyond our obedience, the last thing I need a lot of times in my life is another Bible study. You know what I need? Obedience. I need to apply what I learned. 
You know, I'll never forget my Hebrew instructor in seminary taught me that, you know what the most important translation of the Bible is? You know what the most important translation? He would say, it is translating this into your life. That's the most important translation you can make. And yet we get sidetracked arguing about information and translations, and we forget that learning is about following Jesus. It's following him. I mean, think about it. That is, that is the sum total of what it means to be a learner. It's about immersion and imitation. It's not just information. Information is all a part of it, right? If you are studying to be a surgeon, there's information you need to know about the human body that is very good that you should know, that we expect you to know. But at a fundamental level, what you have to do eventually is you got to cut open somebody's knee, right? And you better imitate somebody who knows what they're doing, right? And when you go to medical school, you learn. And then what do you do? You do it. And then you do what? You teach it right? Because you learn not just by information alone, but by immersion and imitation, right? So everything that we educate our kids towards, we've got to remember that, right? It's not just the information we give them in their head. We are teaching our kids a way of life. That's probably why you sometimes don't like your kids. It's because they remind you of you because they're emulating your way of life, right? It's like, where'd you get that stubbornness from? Oh yeah, me. That's where they get it from. So my suggestion to you this morning is that as you take steps as an everyday discipleship, it is about immersion in the life of Jesus and about imitating, imitating. All right, so what do I mean by immersion? Well, if you look down at Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 28. Notice how personal Jesus's invitation is to all people. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And what Jesus is specifically speaking to in this context are people who are striving to know God, but are being given all kind of man-made rules, all kind of religious systems constructed by the Pharisees. And these people are thinking that they'll find God by adding all of these extra rules and practices. And yet Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy and weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Be my disciple, and I will give you rest, and I will give you a different way of life. So what does it mean to be immersed? Well, that phrase right there, come to me, in verse 28, is very similar to other invitations that Jesus gives to people. Uh, Jesus' favorite invitation to the apostles when he meets them is simply what? Follow me. And what I love so much about that phrase, follow me, is, uh, and this is something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, really pointed out to me, is that in that invitation is God's grace. (laughs) It is God's grace and love and mercy that he deems us unworthy servants and sinners to follow after him and walk this life with him. And if you look in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says these words. He says, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So how do we follow Jesus or how do we come to him? Well, I would suggest to you that the way that we immerse ourselves into the life of Jesus is we immerse ourselves in the means of grace. And that's just a theological phrase you can keep or take. And it simply just means there are certain ways or paths that we experience God's presence and grace in our life. 
And the way that we immerse ourselves in those things come to us primarily through the means of grace. And those are very simple things. Scripture, prayer, and the sacraments. I mean, think about it this way. If you wanted to immerse yourself in the teachings of Jesus, you've got to open up the teachings of Jesus. The way that you immerse yourself in the teachings of Christ is you open up the Bible and you read them. But here's the thing about discipleship and learning is that to read scripture, you've got to read it as if God himself is speaking to you. I mean, uh, Scott gave a great talk last week about prayer. Uh, one, of the, one of the simplest things you can do to change your prayer life, and this comes from Francis de Sales, is he says that before you pray, just take two seconds and just remember and think about who you are speaking to. You're speaking to the living Christ. He hears you. And when we come to scripture, it's not just reading it as information. We are reading it as if these are the teachings of the living Christ. And we've got to apply them, right? I mean, you know, you think about the Good Samaritan. Who knows the story of the Good Samaritan? You all do. What's the Good Samaritan? This guy gets beaten up and this Levite and a priest, they come and do they help the poor guy? No, but who does? The Good Samaritan. And then how does that story end? Does it just end there? What does Jesus say? The guy's trying to figure out who, who counts as my neighbor. Do I have to care about the uh, homeless guy who's asking me for money on the side of the street? Do I have to care about that guy? Who's my neighbor? Help, help me qualify this. And Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And when he's done, Jesus says, well, who really loved the man? And the guy says, well, obviously the Samaritan did. And then what does Jesus say next? Go and do likewise. To read that story is not just to know the parable. It's to immerse yourself in a way of life that hears Jesus speaking to us. Go and do likewise. But the only way you access that story, that way of life, is through Scripture. It's through the teachings of Jesus. So if you want to immerse yourself in it, you could do uh, much worse than every morning starting off reading God's Word. You know, it's almost silly how ancient this practice goes back to waking up early in the morning and praying. I mean, Jesus does this in his own life. You know, as early as Mark chapter 1, Jesus is seen as leaving early in the morning to be alone with his father on a mountain. And Christians for the last 2,000 years have seen the morning time as sacred, sacred unto God and a way of starting the day off right. So if you want to immerse yourself, my first suggestion would be to start every day reading God's word, and not just reading the information, but seeking to see this as the living Christ speaking to me, giving me a way of life. You know, the other way to do it is, of course, through prayer. And Scott talked all about that last week. And remembering that you are praying to the living Christ. And when we pray, asking him to walk with us through these things. This is the way of life that Jesus invites us to be a part of. You know, but when it comes to other means of grace. Uh, I'm not necessarily uh, endorsing this, but I would have you consider it for just a moment. Uh, just consider if this is a possibility. Uh, John Wesley, uh, the famous uh, Church of England preacher who went on to found the Methodist movement. Any, any former Methodists in the room? Hey, we go, there we go. Charles, uh, John Wesley uh, taught that actually giving to the poor was one of the means of grace. And his argument went like this. If we know that we encounter God through Scripture, and we know that we encounter God in prayer, 
And we know that we encounter God in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Jesus also says that if you clothe the naked, you give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, and you visit prisoners. He says, all of those things that you do, you do them to me. And so Wesley's argument was that if you want to interact, if you want to meet Christ, you meet him in the eyes of the poor and the destitute. It's the life-on-life way of Jesus that doesn't see through people, but sees people as worthy of grace. You know, it's immersing yourself in a way of life. It's not just information. Uh, I know you have a lot of information about Christianity. You have a lot of information about the Bible. Goodness, y'all just went through a whole sermon series on the Old Testament. But it's immersing yourself in the way of Jesus through the means of grace. So that's my first suggestion, immersing yourself, right? That's how we learn language. That's how you learned how to play guitar, right? You just immersed yourself in guitar until your fingers developed what? Calluses, right? You immerse yourself. The other thing is you imitate people. And that's really the second step of learning is imitation, right? Because my big idea is learning to follow Jesus is not just about information about Jesus. It's what? Immersion and imitation. So what do I mean by imitation or who are we supposed to imitate? Well, the great news of the gospel is that God has come in human form and calls people like you and me to follow him. And he invites us to imitate his life. I mean, the greatest person that you and I are called to imitate is Jesus himself. This is one of the most surprising things that when you read the Bible, you'll realize that the hardest thing that Jesus ever did when he died on the cross for our sins, the apostles see that as an example for us to live. If you want to imitate Jesus, they go to the hardest thing he ever did. And they say, okay, that's your example. You know, Jesus did not revile when other people reviled him. Jesus did not threaten when he was threatened. Instead, he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And he has set for us an example that we should walk after him. I mean, think about that. The way that we imitate this life is not just Jesus in the easy stuff. It's Jesus in the hard stuff of his life. It's Jesus on the cross suffering and being reviled and not reviling other people in return, even when they deserve it. That's the kind of life that we are called to imitate. So it's not just information, it's imitation. It's the imitation of Jesus. But as we continue to read the Bible, what you'll notice, though, is that the apostles and the writers of the New Testament, they will actually start to suggest that there are people in your life that you can also imitate. That, yes, Jesus is the ultimate example, but there are other people that you and I are called to imitate. Now, think about this. Hebrews 13.7 prescribes this for believers. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, that is your spiritual leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So part of the group of people that we immerse ourselves with and imitate according to Hebrews 13, 7, is our spiritual leaders. And we are supposed to assess their way and the outcome of their life. And then it says to imitate their faith. Or think about how Paul writes to the people living in Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says these words, 
He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anybody's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have a right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says these words, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. You see, as we were to review the New Testament and the teachings of the apostles, what we'll realize is, of course, Jesus is the ultimate example. He is the ultimate Lord. He's the only true Savior that we imitate. But because of God's grace and his love, he has given us people that we can imitate their faith. And the first group of people would be the apostles themselves. So as we study the writings of the New Testament, we can be seeing them as people that we should be imitating. Uh, Paul sets good examples for us that we should strive after. Notice also that uh, the author of Hebrews talks about people who are in our own lives, our spiritual leaders and our spiritual mentors. So who are those people that are our spiritual mentors? Well, there are pastors, uh, right? There are teachers. Uh, but here, I would almost bet that every person in this room could point to an older Christian that has helped them walk this life of faith that there's a spiritual mentor that you have had. I mean, if you think about the way that Jesus started the kingdom of God, how does he do it? <laughs> Jesus takes 12 men and he says, follow me. And what I love about that is Jesus does not give them a theology lesson. He does not give them a sermon. He says, follow me. And as they are following him, they begin to believe. You know, Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship writes about this. And he says, we have this mistake that only those who believe obey. And Bonhoeffer says that's true. Only those who believe the gospel actually live out the gospel. But you know what else is also true? Only those who obey believe. And when we come to crises of faith, it's often a matter of simply not following Jesus because only those who obey believe. For Peter to have faith, he has to first get out of the boat. Jesus' first word to us in grace is follow me. And in following him, we believe. Because it's not just information. The way that Jesus invites us into the kingdom is an immersion in the life of God where we are imitating him. And the beautiful thing is Jesus invests in those 12 apostles who invest in more men and more women who then become mentors to all of God's people. You know, Jesus warns us to assess our spiritual mentors. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. And he gives us a very simple example. He says, you'll know them by their fruits. Just like you know what kind of tree it is by the fruit on the tree, you'll know whether to emulate a person's faith or not because you'll know them by their fruits. The great other news about uh, spiritual mentors and finding them, and this is such great news, is oftentimes when it comes to finding a spiritual mentor, a little can go a very long way. 
I may have shared this story with you before, but one of my spiritual mentors, uh, Dan Doriani, was a very smart man. And I said, hey, will you mentor me? And he said, yes, we will take a walk. And we took a walk. And that was it. And our one walk around the neighborhood, you know what he told me? He goes, when I was working on my dissertation at Yale, my advisor met with me once, and it was enough. <laughs> you know what I thought? This is it. This is the one walk you and I get. And guess what? I've never forgotten it. Ten years later, a little goes a long way. So obviously, Jesus is our ultimate example and we know that the apostles are examples and their teachings are examples. And then it gets a little murkier, right, when Hebrews says, imitate your leaders. Because, I mean, we're living in a time, let's be honest, where the failure of spiritual leaders is ubiquitous. Uh, our own valley is not immune to that. And uh, I have a book. I have, a book. I have multiple copies of a book. Well, I don't anymore, but I did because I had a book. And it's gone at least through three different republications. You know why? Because the pastors who endorse it on the back keep having moral failures. So I have to keep buying a new copy. Oh, I can't get that copy. That guy has a big old moral. Oh, so did that guy. Oh, so did that guy. Well, what do we do during a time where spiritual leaders seem to be being exposed rather than examples of high morality? I have a friend uh, from my previous church uh, on Twitter, and uh, pinned at the top of his Twitter account, you know what he says? He says, I'm not having a crisis of faith. I'm having a crisis of trust. And he's speaking specifically to spiritual leaders in the church. I mean, who here hasn't questioned spiritual leaders or been disappointed by news? What do we do with that? And what do we do with Hebrews that says, well, we should be imitating something about our leaders? Well, the way that I've come to my, my own piece about it, and maybe I'd recommend you to consider, if you go back to the teachings of Jesus, which is always a great place to start, in Matthew 23, Jesus sort of rips into the religious leaders of his day. And if you ever want to see a really, you know, Jesus, and who is very upset, look at Matthew 23. You know, this is where he says things like they're whitewashed tombs, and they're dancing on the graves of the prophets that they killed, and... It's a very intense chapter, and he goes after religious leaders who don't practice what they preach. But the amazing thing to me about Matthew 23 is Jesus begins Matthew 23 with these words. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. And then he rips into them for being hypocritical and all kind of things. And I think what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 23 is that when we are exposed to leaders who fail us or don't hold to the gospel, we need to be able to have the wherewithal to understand that God has given us spiritual leaders. And when they have spoken to us the word of truth, we need to believe it. When the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, that is when they tell you who God is. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When the Pharisees say that, you need to obey them. Because yes, they know the true God, but don't practice their way of life. So if you've been disappointed by a leader, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, don't give up everything. Don't totally deconstruct your faith. 
Rather, insofar as they preached God's word to you and spoke true doctrine to you, believe them, but don't practice their way of life. Be discerning. And this is also why the greatest news that I can share with you is not just that we are all going to have spiritual leaders who fail us, but that we have a spiritual leader who never fails us. This is why Jesus in Matthew 23 says, don't call any man father. And he doesn't mean that I don't get to be called dad or that you don't get to be called dad. What he means is always keep in mind who the ultimate teacher, the ultimate father is, and don't let your faith either fall apart or get built up by a mere human. Only Christ is your teacher. You learn from him. His yoke you and I bear. You know, if you're looking for a spiritual mentor, uh, you could do worse than look around uh, in this church or in your life. Um, A couple of uh, bits of advice that I would give you if you're looking for a spiritual mentor. Uh, Number one, insofar as you're able, find somebody who is older than you. Uh, This has long been the spiritual practice of the church. And if you read the book of Titus, chapter two, it explicitly prescribes this. It says that the older women should mentor the younger women. And in fact, when the church is led, they are led by a group of people called the elders, seeming to point to a maturity and generally an older age of life. Uh, This is just simple, you know, human nature. If you want to learn how to parent, you should probably talk to somebody who has kids older than you, right? Who has been there. So look around, find somebody older than you. Uh, I know if you're looking for one, myself and Scott and Richard would love to meet with you uh, to help you imitate a way of life that looks like Jesus's. But if you're not interested in meeting with somebody, I will share a little secret with you about the way that I have found many spiritual mentors in my life. And one of my favorite ways of finding spiritual mentors is to find dead people. And they don't actually mean dead. I mean people who are more alive than ever, uh, the saints of old. And I would encourage you as you go through this life, if you're looking to immerse yourself in the way of Jesus and find somebody to imitate, yes, you should find a spiritual mentor in this life, but you can also avail yourself to the beautiful history of the church where many godly men and women throughout history have written and talked and lived in a way that you can learn how to imitate their faith. So for me, you could probably, I've been here for three years, you could probably guess who are some of my favorite people in church history. And the nice thing about looking to someone in church history is they're dead and they can't disappoint you anymore because nothing's coming out about them. <laughs> it's a little bit safer, right? If you had to guess who those spiritual people are, there are two that stick out to me that I constantly go back to their teachings. Not because I think they have perfect theology, they're human, right? They don't have perfect theology. I don't have perfect, nobody you've met has perfect theology except for Jesus. Not because they're perfect theologians, but because there's something about the way that they did life that I want to emulate, that I want to imitate. And those people are St. Augustine and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And they both wrote profusely. And you can study their lives. You can read biographies. You can read their writings. And I don't know who those people are for you. If you want some advice or some suggestions, come talk to me or Richard or Scott or somebody else who's older and wiser than you. But think of yourself as when you imitate somebody, it's Jesus then it's a living, breathing, spiritual mentor, and then find some books, excuse me, some audio books, and listen to it on your phone, and find a biography of a saint that you want to emulate. Avail yourself to the communion of the saints. Immerse yourself. So let me just finish up simply then, I guess, with this. My suggestion to you as disciples is that the way that we learn the way of Jesus is not just by information. It's what? It's immersion and it's imitation. 
You've got to immerse yourself in the teachings of Jesus. The way you, I suggest that you do that is every morning rising and reading his word, praying to him. And then you need to start emulating and imitating the faith of others. That's Jesus. It's the apostles. It's a living, breathing person. And it may even be somebody from church history. But as you imitate their faith, think of it as just like the teenager who gets their guitar for the first time and they open up to YouTube and who do they want to imitate? Jimi Hendrix, right? I don't know. Bono, no, The Edge. They're people to imitate. Lastly, uh, hear these words from Scripture. And this is possible because of Christ's death for us that we can fulfill these words. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, friends, that's an invitation to a whole new way of life. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the witness of the men and women throughout history who have testified to you. Uh, Father, would we imitate their faith? Would we imitate the faith of Paul and the apostles? Uh, but Jesus, would we ultimately imitate you? Holy Spirit, would you make that possible for us to be imitators of God? And Lord, would we do that not to justify ourselves or earn our salvation, but because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant sacrifice. Jesus, indeed, you have paid it all. Father, would you immerse us in your presence that we may follow Jesus all the days of our life. In his name we pray, amen.